Welcome back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader and Living a Whole Christian Life. We are once again here in my cluttered closet I call my podcast studio. Hope all are doing well. So this week we continue to do our focus on the social dimension and really the better understanding of how our golden rule applies to our daily lives. So I think it's worth noting as we begin here today that when Jesus was asked about the two greatest commandments ever, they both had to do with relationships. The first one was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second, of course, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked about this, and it's really a unique thing to think about that the two greatest commandments ever uttered and ever ordained in our world really do have to do with relationships. And so as we've detailed before, though, our relationship with others and God does not operate in isolation. Of course, it's affected by physical and psychological factors, certainly the spirituality that comes through everything. But I think there's a really unique connection that's worth kind of unveiling here when we talk about these two greatest commandments. And this actually is really ordained in the verse in Matthew 25, verse 40. He says, quote, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And when I thought about this, I thought about this visual of a triangle, right? And imagine that you are at the top point of a triangle. And the first commandment, of course, is your relationship with God, which, you know, ordains itself and works its way to the next point. The second is, is your relationship with another human being, other people in general in our communities overall. And so if you think about that from the top point to the nether point on the opposite end, we have that second commandment. But running along the bottom is the sense of what it says there in Matthew 25, 40. Again, I'll say this. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so what runs across the bottom of that triangle is the idea that what we do to others, it's as if we're doing it to God himself. And so there you complete that visual, right? Of you, of others, and of God in that triangular way. And so much like the Trinity, so much in the Bible, ironically, of course, comes together as a Trinity. And so it does here with this social dimension and the way that we understand it. But even if we move beyond the biblical verses that we've talked about here, think about the Ten Commandments. Think about how loaded the Ten Commandments are with relationship do's and don'ts, right? Honor your mother and father. Do not steal. Do not lie do not commit adultery, and so on. And so throughout the Bible, the social dimension, throughout the tradition of our church, the social dimension continues to weave its way through and continues to weave its way into the other dimensions, but weaves its way through the core of what it means to be a Christian person. You know, I thought about this song, Truly They Will Know Us, um, We Are Christians By Our Love by our love. I think many of you over the years have heard that song, they'll come to know us that we are Christians by our love, right? And how we treat other people. And so yet, here's the challenging thing about this idea of the social dimension, is that, you know, often the transgressions towards others don't actually start as interpersonal processes, right? We think about this idea that if I lie to another person or 
or if I steal from another person, that of course is an interpersonal process. And it's true that it is, but very often the seeds of the things that we don't want to do to others start as an intrapersonal one, something that occurs within ourselves. And so here's kind of an example of that, that think of the young child who grows up and, you know, depending on what's going on in the environment or depending on their genetics, they grow up and they struggle with self-control early on. They struggle with emotional dysregulation. And this child, for various reasons, never really starts to improve in those areas as he or she grows older. And so that emotional dysregulation remains and the, and the self-control is really a challenging area. And as this child grows older, he or she becomes addicted to substances or maybe a behavioral addiction like gambling. Um, at the same time, self-medicating through that addiction, not being able to utilize healthy ways of regulating his or her emotions or not using healthy ways of even kind of managing the difficulties with immediate gratification. And then sadly, what happens there is as that adolescent or young adult continues to struggle in that area, they become involved with others and become involved in relationships. And at the worst possible scenario, domestic violence emerges. Or even if it's not violence itself, it's a relationship that's fraught with a lot of indiscretions, a lot of harshness, just a lot of arbitrary situations. And so you can see how here's the challenge is that once again, these dimensions overlap, these dimensions affect each other, that that young child didn't set out to have poor relationships with another human being. But if we don't address those early issues with emotional dysregulation and self-control, which we'll talk more about in the podcast, long-term, that can evolve and, and really blend itself into unhealthy relationships. But you know, there's another piece of this that very often happens, and I think this is really critical for us to talk about, is that very often, not only do negative interpersonal patterns start as intrapersonal challenges, but they also are negative patterns in relationships, I think, are often excused on the basis of three variables. And the basis are these. One variable is biology, right? Well, this was just kind of the way that, you know, this person was created and this is what you know, came to be as he or she got older. The second is culture. You know, we often say, well, that's just kind of the cultural way that things are with regards to how people are treated. And the third is socialized behaviors. And what happens is that with each of those three areas, and obviously when those other areas come together, we often make excuses about the way we operate. I mean, we do this in a prideful way, but even excuses about the way other people operate whether people that we know or people that just in general, um, different societies overall. And we see these operations as preferences or differences, but not truly spiritual endeavors. And this gets us in a lot of trouble. And I want to I kind of think about this idea is that when we don't see the way that we treat others as being truly a spiritual endeavor, we're walking a relativistic tightrope that's not supported by our theological beliefs. This isn't a matter of men or women embracing different roles as determined by biology, culture, and socialized behaviors. I mean, it's easy to deny that these basic partner rights on the basis of these three issues, but then forego a true discussion into this matter. Yet let us once again listen to the words of our Lord, which were radical then and in many places and situations are just as radical now. Quote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When it says we should love others as yourself, there's no escape clause for biology, culture, or socialized behaviors. This should never be more evident than the way in which Christ treated women and those of other ethnicities, classes, and cultures, who for many were considered second-class citizens. Ask yourself this. How many times does Christ clearly elevate those of a different gender or circumstance in his direct interactions and teachings, whether in parables or direct words? As much as we should respect the culture a person was raised and the prior experiences he or she has had, the commandments appear to give us no wiggle room when it comes to the way that we treat other people. They challenge us to accept no excuses for the way in which we treat our fellow human beings none more important than those closest to us. If we don't like to be discarded, undermined, degraded, dehumanized, deceived, or offended in any other way, then behaving in this manner is certainly not loving others as we love ourselves. Even better, his commandments mandate that if we are to grow in any area, this is the area that we should grow if we are to seek out eternal salvation. You know, I think about this idea, again, that Jesus makes it abundantly clear that nothing supersedes these two commandments being lived out daily, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how many times we we go backwards instead of forwards. And this is even beyond all the highly politicized controversies of our social world. He's saying everything starts here, right? Doesn't matter how you think about other people, what they're doing, what's going on, doesn't matter what you think even in your own home. I'm not saying that we should excuse or condone things that might be unnatural and not be ordained by God's law. But what he's making very clear, and I think comes through this dimension so adamantly, is that we all must consider where all the law and the prophets begin. Again, how we treat each other, how we treat those we don't even know, how we speak about other people. Whatever we do has to start there, right? And so this is why we come back to this idea of a partner bill of rights that I talked about in the prior podcast, because how are we supposed to translate the golden rule into our modern world, right? It's easy to say, oh, treat others as you would like to be treated or even as they would like to be treated. But again, what does that mean? And what really are the themes underlie this? I think that's where we're we're really called to consider because simply paying lip service and doing that, but then going, you know, the next day and putting forth all of this negativity, again, towards people that you know or people that you don't feel in a similar situation as, does not honor the golden rule. So I would argue there's really four major underlying themes if we're going to have this idea that, you know, the Bill of Rights in regards to the golden rule and just the way that we treat people in general. The first is this idea of congruence. And I want to kind of define congruence here. This is what we're really talking about is that congruence is when we look at people as equal in worth, even if different in roles, right? Although there is some overlap with the idea of equality and egalitarianism when I'm talking about congruence, it's not the same thing. It's not synonymous. And the reason is, is the other two, the terms that we're describing, really kind of look at an idea of comparison, right? One to the other. How do they line up? How do they not line up? How are we acting in similar ways? But the idea of congruence here 
really this idea that again ordained by the the golden rule is that it's not about comparison, rather it's about value. Value again that starts with every human being being the child of God first before they are anything else. And value that's ordained and should be ordained in our world for any life that's created. I mean, that's that's the essence of being congruent is that you and I might have different roles. My wife and I share a lot of things, but there are things every day that she does different that I, you know, I do different than her. I mean, as a stay-at-home mom, there are a lot of things on a typical day that don't look anything like my life as a psychologist. And yet the reality is that we are equal in worth because we're ordained first as a child of God. And so no matter how different our roles and no matter how different even the tasks of our day may be, or even if they're not different, but they're shared differently, right? Different percentages or whatever you want to say, it's still in the end of the day that we, again, are a child of God. And that's the, that's the essence of congruence. That's the essence of that idea of the partner bill of rights. The second thing is around the value of health and security. And this should always be a paramount priority for other people. If we really, really believe in the golden rule, if we really believe in that idea, then really our first priority in life should be that those around us should not only be safe, but they should also that we should be someone that creates a great sense of health opportunity for them, right? Now, again, each person, of course, is responsible for their health and well-being, unless, of course, they're young enough and they need us in that way and they're dependent. But each adult is responsible if they have capacity for their health and well-being. But here's the question, and this is such a hard one because I know that we don't mean to do this sometimes, but how much are you an agent of health and well-being for those around you? Or how much are you detracting from their health and well-being? I really think that one of the greatest compliments that a spouse or significant other can ever get is that they are a person that enhances the beauty and health of the significant other, right? By the way that they treat them, by the way that they think about them, by the things that are important to them. I mean, I really think that if you ever wanted to give one of the greatest compliments to someone in their relationships, right? In, in the way that they really value the social dimension, it's that the people that are around them that come to know them See them as someone who not only values and prioritizes their health and well-being, but also truly finds ways to help them enhance that. And that whatever beauty that that person possesses, that that is enhanced by the other individual. And so think about that. Wouldn't that be great if we all had that value, that we took forth that value in the sense of the golden rule that, yeah, I have a lot of tasks and there's probably a lot of things that I want from you and that I might need from you. But how beautiful it would be if we all looked at each other and said, you know what, first and foremost, I want to be someone that treats you, again, in a congruent way, that you're equal in worth, even if our habits and roles might be different. And I really want to do everything possible so that your health increases and that you're not just safe, which is, of course, a really important thing, but that you see yourself growing in beauty and growing in promise and growing in capacity. Again, I know we're all humans, and you may be listening to this thinking, wow, that sounds like an unbelievably intimidating thing. But because we're all so much about opportunity here in this podcast, what if we didn't look again as an obligation, although yes, we have an obligation to care and keep people safe, but what if this idea was that we could be an agent of greater capacity for others? 
The third theme, the idea behind the Bill of Rights, is the theme of accountability and transparency. And that, you know, in the end of the day, we all have to work through our pride and our, our, maybe our fatigue and maybe our embarrassment to own what we should own and pass along what we shouldn't. And so we have to be careful. We don't want to be part of creating an environment of shared misery and blaming, right? I mean, that's not something that we want. So how do we avoid that? We avoid it through, and again, talk about myself failing and thinking about, gosh, I hope you're listening to what you're saying. But how many times do we know we fail to not necessarily be accountable? I was having this discussion today with my son, Lewis, and he had accidentally left our pet tortoise out. And this has happened a number of times. And Mortis, the tortoise, is probably very fortunate to be alive. And when I said to him, I came back in because I had seen him wandering the yard. I said, Lewis, do you have any idea where Mortis is at? And Lewis quickly, like so many of us, got defensive and was trying to think of a way that he didn't want to acknowledge that he had just forgot about him and went inside. But as we were talking about it, I said, at the end of the day, we have to all ask ourselves this question. When we hear ourselves saying something, do we know it's true or do we know it's false? I mean, it sounds simple, but of course it's not simple. But as you hear yourself saying something, we all have to ask, is this a truth or is this a falsehood? And so, you know, oftentimes we even kind of skirt around it, not by even directly lying, but we might say something like, oh, I don't know, or, well, I kind of forgot about it. I mean, if we're really truthful and we really desire relationships as God ordains and we really desire to have um, a place of safety and security and health, we got to be honest sometimes. It's not about I don't know or it's not about I forgot about it. It's just that I don't want to acknowledge it. And that's fine. Again, we're going to fail in this one, but it's such a really wonderful thing when we acknowledge that. And the fourth, and we're going to talk about this much later in the podcast, is the avenue of forgiveness and just kind of the reality of forgiveness and how that plays a role in our lives. So again, we come back to this idea of translating the golden rule into that Bill of Rights. We're talking about congruence, equal in worth, even if different in roles. We're talking about the value of health and security, and are we an agent of that or are we a detractor from that? We talk about the themes of accountability and transparency. And ultimately, we talk about this idea of an avenue and a culture of forgiveness. The challenge of all is that we know relationships, well, are really challenging in themselves. And I think that that's one of the things that can really detract and kind of discourage us. But when you step back and you start to look at the purity of this idea that was really ordained throughout the Gospels and throughout the Bible in general, it starts to seem kind of a happier pathway. Because when we really lean on the principles inherent, and we recognize that in the end of the day, although this is about you and I, but it's mostly and even more so about God and I and our relationship, then we start to see that there are so many opportunities may be in store. So hope you're all out there and you find some hope in whatever relationships are bringing to you. But for now, this is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.